Hello, everybody. My name is Reese Garlinski, and this is Young History, episode 62 on Lithuania. The capital of Lithuania is Vilnius, and this country is very likely named after the Latalka River, which left the land here to be referred to as Liatava, which roughly says the land that pours because of the rivers that pour in and out of this country into the Baltic Sea. There is also an oak tree here that has survived since the Crusades at least. It is the Stelmuse oak, and it is the oldest tree in Europe. This country has one of the biggest basketball cultures in Europe. That is because basketball is the national sport. And Independence Day is celebrated twice a year in this country, once on February 16th and then again on March 11th. And you will see why that is very, very soon. So just wanted to throw a few facts out there for you guys, a little explanation of why it has its name, and then just get right into it. So I'm not going to dilly-dally any longer because Lithuania is a country I want to explain a lot about because not many people know what goes on here except for the fact that you know there are some lithuanians maybe in their life but this country at many points in history has been one of the most important countries in the world and on top of that it's been involved with almost every major event in europe ever so let's get right into it my name is reese karlinski this is young history and this is lithuania let's do this thing Our origins begin with the Balts, who are a people group that first occupied this region thousands of years ago. They were ruled by chieftains and had a polytheistic religious belief, but Western societies really don't know much outside of this because of how little information was collected from the land and how much we have recovered. And that's more to say that there might not have been that much there in the first place, not that much written down, because there has been huge amounts of excavation at anthropological investigations done here. The next thing we see for sure is that a man named St. Bruno of Cufort tried converting the people here in 1009 CE, and for this he was beheaded. This is kind of seen as an origin point because they had a very old-style kind of pagan religious belief here in Lithuania for a very long time, and the attempt to convert them is a huge part of their history for ages until it eventually happens. Raids came from local powers such as the Slavs, and this inherently taught the people living here to raid back, so this led to a culture of raiding becoming very important to the success of Lithuania. It's very similar to what the Vikings would do in other parts of Northern Europe. The Teutonic Order had power in Prussia and was able to take over both Livonia and Estonia, which are the Baltic cousins of Lithuania. During the 1200s, the Lithuanians started to unite the clans along ethnic lines. They resisted conquest from other neighbors because of this unity and stayed strong for a very, very long time. German knights spent much of the 1200s and 1300s raiding Lithuanian lands in hopes to convert the area and take them over. Mindaugas was crowned king of Lithuania in 1253. He expanded the kingdom and completed the unification of Lithuanian people and the regions that they were living in. His successor, Tridenis, and the Grand Duke Gediminas finished the work of establishing Vilnius, which was established as the capital by 1330. It was established by Gediminas after he dreamed of an iron wolf howling on a hill. This hill would be where the city was constructed because of this dream. It was seen as a land favored by the gods in a very similar way that Singapore was seen as a land that could be favored by the gods because a lion was there, hence it being called Lion City, Singapore. And sort of a similar thing with Rome as well, where Romulus and Remus end up in an area where that isn't far from where they were raised by a she-wolf. Gediminas was the main person establishing the Lithuanian borders of old, and upon his death in 1342, the borders of Lithuania stretched from the upper Davina to the Dnieper River. 
The small population made it hard to control the land that they had expanded to, but through many marriages and religious acceptance spreading throughout the country, that being of Eastern Orthodox, the land was held tightly for a long time. And this would also go farther when the Slavs start arriving in the area and establishing themselves in the East. They were also ones that would adhere to Eastern Orthodox Christianity. The sons of Gediminas were given control of the land after their father died. The land was split up, which caused internal conflicts. But two of the brothers ended up holding the greatest amounts of power. Algridas had power in the capital, which was the eastern part of the nation. He became great prince, and his brother, Kestutis, had his capital in the island castle of Trakai. He tried to handle affairs against the Teutonic Knights. And that would be a long struggle that would carry on even beyond his time in power. Once Christutius died in 1377, the son of Algridas, Jogalia, took power in the West. Jogalia became Grand Duke and then converted to Christianity in 1386. He would then marry Jadwiga of Poland, who was only 12 years old at the time, and that's how royal marriages worked, and would rule as a dual monarch over both their lands of Poland and Lithuania. He began creating ties with Poland, and the acceptance of Roman Catholicism was spreading. The Battle of Grunwald in 1410 saw the Lithuanians fight alongside the Polish to give a final deciding defeat to the Teutonic Knights. Since Jogalia was a big part of Lithuania and Poland and the rest of the Baltics converting to Christianity, the Teutonic Knights didn't really have a reason to be assembled anymore, so their power started to weaken. And then once they got this final loss at the Battle of Grunwald, they started to disband very heavily. The Grand Duchy of Lithuania was growing in strength after the victory against the Knights. The rule of Vitautis the Great represented the peak of the Grand Duchy, which stretched from the Baltic Sea all the way to the Black Sea. Vitautis made peace with the Teutonic Knights via the Treaty of Menlo and created a brief time of no conflict in the area. Russia started to become a problem as the Grand Duchy of Moscow expanded. Ivan III of Moscow claimed many Lithuanian lands belonged to Russia because of ethnic ties. In relation, Lithuania joined the Union of Lublin in 1569 with Poland and formed the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. The Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was a strong unity between these two. No longer was it just an assembly of loose marriages that kept people of different ages and different areas together. It was now a really tight alliance between these two nations, one that pretty much combined them into one nation. Because of this, Lithuania ceded lands to the Polish half, so Poland would be stronger. Lithuanians were the minority of this unification, numbers-wise, but Lithuania did have a lot of very profitable lands. Lithuanian wasn't even one of the official languages of this area, and Lithuanians had majority in the mobility class, but nowhere else. Polishification happened heavily. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I don't know where it starts. Okay, Polishification, which is the action of starting to push Polish culture as the main culture and language and all that of an area, very similar to Russification and Sovietization, things of all that sort, happened here. The, Lith- the Lithuanian lands were incorporated to be Polish. After the unification, they enjoyed the golden age of arts and culture between the two, and they were a very tolerant and accepting society, especially for this time, which was still the Middle Ages, where hardly anything was accepted. Sigismund Vasa III ruled over Polish-Lithuania and started wars with Russia, Sweden, and the Ottoman Empire using his monarch powers. An attempt was made to invade Russia, which led to many Commonwealth soldiers dying and led to an even stronger Russian retaliation. During this retaliation, they conquered the lands of Lithuania. In 1655, the Russians set Vilnius on fire after a successful siege of the city. 
The Second Northern War began after Sweden invaded in 1655. It was a costly war that saw Sweden win in the north, which is crazy because they were fighting against strong powers like Russia. Then there was the Great Northern War, which happened from 1700 to 1721. It was a very brutal war. It was a very brutal war that saw strong powers fighting against one another on their homelands. The war also brought plague and famine into the lands that saw the war happen and in the end around 50 percent of the population in lithuania had either been killed in the war or died from the plagues or famine that came from it the russian empire took over a battered and bruised lithuania in 1795 because of the fact that 50 percent of the population had died which meant roughly half of the army was dead but this would not happen without long-term resistance that happened as the invasion and takeover were happening and even after the after would be the november uprisings which began in 1830 in Poland and inspired the nationalistic pride of Lithuanian people. A noblewoman named Amelia Platter led the armed forces against Russia. This didn't work as Russia was too strong to push out and the resistance was crushed as well as the fact that Amelia Platter was killed. After this and the Russians starting to see the idea that the only way to stop Lithuanian resistance would be to crush them in a more serious manner, they would begin Russification and then laws around following Russian customs and learning the language began to be enforced. Russian was the only language that was sanctioned for public use, so that in schools, libraries, government proceedings, court proceedings, Russian was the only thing used. Another thing the Russian did was that they even closed the University of Vilnius in 1832, which had been open since 1589. On top of that, they also changed the legal code of Lithuania in 1840, which had been around as well since the 1500s. Motesius Valencius helped resist Russification by illegally spreading and printing books in the, the Lithuanian language. Men like Jurgis Bielinus smuggled books in illegally, and this kept the Lithuanian culture and language alive. There were also small schools organized in small villages to keep education about Lithuanian culture growing strong. Newspapers were finally allowed to be in Lithuanian as of 1905, and because of this, of course, the end of the 1800s started to show how strong the nationalistic pride of this country was. This is a very common development across all of Europe, and Lithuania was, of course, not immune to this, and this kind of fervorous nationalism spread to them, and by the end of the 1800s and start of World War I, they were ready to be their own country. During World War I, Lithuania was taken over by the Germans in 1915. The Germans sought to set up an independent Lithuanian state with borders and a capital in Vilnius. But after the war ended and the Germans were sent out in 1918, there was a council held that helped Lithuanian independence be claimed for the first time. However, despite this independence being claimed, which is on February 16, 1918, this is the first of those two dates I said earlier that there's two independence days, this is the original claim, but it would not be all sunshine and rainbows from here. Lots of wars followed this claim to independence, as many powers wanted to take over Lithuania still. The Lithuanian-Soviet War of 1918-1919 to ended in Lithuanian victory despite a brief Soviet occupation where even the capital was taken over. Another war followed against the Bermontians. It ended the same with a Lithuanian victory, this one more decidedly. But during the Polish-Lithuanian War of 1920, the capital fell to the Poles, but the second largest city, Kalnas, did not. Then, the Polish and Soviets started fighting on this land, which led to Vilnius slipping into Soviet hands once again. Then after this, it went back to the Lithuanians, and then the Poles broke a treaty with the Lithuanians and took over the capital once again. There was also issues in the city of Klaipeda, because it was never officially part of Lithuania and was historically Prussian land. 
But after World War I, the Treaty of Versailles made it part of Lithuania officially, and then this was not taken lightly by the Germans, who, under the leadership of Adolf Hitler, would be rallied up to fight Lithuania, and the use of Nazi propaganda made them really want to take this land over again, as it was quote-unquote ethnically German. World War II began, and a port was ceded to Germany. Then, the Soviets returned and took the country over by storm. They began sending enemies of the state to the Gulag to work like slaves. Sovietization, just like... Polishification began once again, and political, economic, and cultural reforms were put in place to reduce Lithuanian individuality and make them just like the other Soviet satellite states, which meant an extension of Russia. The Lithuanian Activist Front was established in 1941, and it sparked the June Uprising, and Lithuania got control back in its country up until Nazi Germany actually took over in the same year of 1941 and began spreading their horrors. There were around 25, there were around 250,000 Jews living in Lithuania at the time, and by the end of the war, over 200,000 of them had been killed by either the Soviets or the Nazis. The end of the war saw the Soviets take over once again and saw Lithuania formed into the Lithuanian Soviet Socialist Republic. Life under the Soviet heel was very hard. Many people were starved or worked to death, either in the gulag or just in the city because of the terrible working conditions and lack of rights for people. A huge protest occurred to challenge the rule of the Soviets in 1972 when students in Lithuania set themselves on fire to protest the Soviet Union. This event is known as the Romas Kalanta. This didn't end Soviet rule, and Lithuania became dotted with factories and machinery to become even more of a production powerhouse for the Soviets. So this time in history just swept under the rug, and this protest meant nothing to the Soviets as they were heartless, inhumane individuals. But eventually the Soviet decline started to show in the 1980s as the, area, as the era of Stalinist rule was fading away, and the Union started to become weak because of the doctrines of Glasnost and Plenstraika started to make the Soviet Union much more open and fair. This was done a lot under the rule of Gorbachev. And after this, an election was held in 1990 where a referendum on independence was sent out. And it was voted by unanimous consent that Lithuania would leave the Soviet Union. Post-independence, there were many economic struggles. And at one point, the economy had such a bad inflation rate that it was 1,000%. On the average year, America sees like a 2 to 3% inflation rate. And then even in shitty years, we don't break anywhere near 100. So 1,000 is absolutely insane. But it's gone down to a 10% inflation rate since some adjustments were made and talks with the EU happened and more and more changes came and time separation happened from them being a Soviet satellite state. But following this, the country joined NATO and the EU in 2004. And the economy never got great. It struggled even through 2008, where Lithuania was actually rejected from the Eurozone because of how weak its currency was and the fact that it was seen as unstable by the European Union. They didn't want to trust them with the Euro because they felt they would crash it, they being Lithuania. This led to protests in the capital, which called for a change to the system, called for a change to the economics so that, so that people could have a better chance to work and stimulate the economy and make things better overall. And in 2009, Dalia Girbauskauti became the first female president of Lithuania. And with that, that pretty much gets us to the present day, where the country stands as an example of a very much recovering satellite state that was behind the Iron Curtain, especially considering this one was so close to Russia and had so many things done to it, both by the Soviets and the Nazis in the last hundred years, and terrible things done to its economy. And then once things ended between it and Russia, Russia completely stopped doing anything to help this country at all. So this country is trying its best to get by, but things are starting to get there as currently it is seen as a country with very high human development rating on the HDI index, and it has a strong economy. 
there is a great quality of life here and a good happiness index. So despite a lot of the issues that happened, this country has turned it around, especially in the last 10 years or so since the 2010s. And it seems to be in a pretty good place overall, despite all it's been through. And with that, that pretty much gets us to the end, where I always like to leave it with a mindset or takeaway of sorts. And with Lithuania, that is going to be, no matter how dark it gets, keep pushing until you're out of it. I'm not going to try and sound like a broken record or sound like, try and claim this isn't something anyone else has ever said before, because this is very common advice and advice that I've always lived by and tried to really get in my head when things get really terrible. Lithuania for centuries after the end of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth had to adjust and accept that they were under the heel of other countries, namely Russia being one of them, and then getting massacred by the Nazis, tossed back and forth, having internal conflicts, having communism come in and out, all sorts of things. Their economy got crushed, people, many, many, many things changed. It was terrible. Despite all this, and despite over 200 years of really getting their teeth kicked in and being put at a disadvantage once independence finally came, they still pushed through and got to a point now where they're very similar to the other Nordic or northern countries, such as Estonia and Latvia, which have high human development index ratings, high happiness ratings, good economies, good human rights, very good rankings on all of these lists, despite the things that they went through. So the point with that is that things can be really, really terrible. They can be awful. You can be post-breakup with, you know, maybe you thought you found the one and they just leave you. They cheat on you, whatever. You maybe thought you found the one. You had to leave them because of reasons, which is also very hard. Maybe someone died, lost a job, anything. Things could get you really dark. Maybe you could be literally at the equivalent of your rock bottom. Whatever it is, as long as you still have breath in your chest and blood flowing through your body and thoughts in your brain, you can get through. People have gotten through wars. People have gotten through their entire country being economically unstable. People have gotten through corrupt governments, monarchies, dictatorships, all sorts of things that you're not dealing with currently. And yes, there are places in the world where you very well could be dealing with that. But just know, even if your problems are that bad, they're that deep that the place you live is completely terrible. But people have gotten through that before, and so can you. And that means if you're dealing with anything less than that, if you are dealing with a breakup or a change in life, a failed test, a failed class, your degree not working, your career not working, all these things, if you put your head down and really study what's happened to you and try and figure out what the patterns are and figure out what's been going on around you or with your friends or anything, you're going to change your life if you fix those things. I guarantee you, no matter how dark it is right now, no matter how far in that pit you are, how far low you are in rock bottom, if you accept all that's happened and really look for a solution and start to make changes and habits to push yourself out, you will get out. And that's what Lithuania can tell you because they had hundreds of years of struggle in being at their rock bottom or being at their rock bottom and discovering that they could get even lower and lower and lower. They got through it. They're doing pretty great now. They're a part of NATO. They've joined the EU. They're doing all sorts of things many countries in the world wish they could do, doing many things for their people that people around the world wish they had as citizens of a country. So if they can do that, who are just human beings, just like you, or just a group of human beings, just like you can group with other human beings, and they can do that. You can get with a, get through whatever it is you're going through. I promise you. So that's my takeaway. That's my thing I got from this. And on top of that, got to learn some cool history too. So truly, hope you guys had a good takeaway from this. Hope you guys enjoyed. Um, Lithuania was another one I knew very little about before doing research over these past few years. It's, um, you know, you don't hear as much about the eastern countries, especially like Belarus, the... 
Baltics. You really don't hear a lot about them as compared to Western Europe because of the Iron Curtain and so many different philosophies, but now you guys are learning, and that's a great thing. So thank you again, once again, for being here. And I know I can be all over the place and all sorts of stuff, but I really appreciate anyone who does listen. So thank you guys so much for being here one more time. And my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and that was Lithuania. Thank you guys so much.